Hello everyone, it's me, Roman Braithwaite. Sorry if I didn't publish the last two scheduled episodes. Um, I got a new microphone and it has been glitching out and I've been spending my time trying to fix it. So, I'm still trying to fix it, but I'd like to publish an episode without the microphone today. Um, just because I still want some episodes out until it be listened to. And, so yeah. Sorry about that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today our class is going to be the sorcerer. And so, sorcerers are casters of magic. Usually casting magic that um, are, is different from wizard and druid and cleric and warlock spells. In the way that it deals more with raw, like elemental magic, like, um, earth, fire, water, air, that kind of stuff, but in different ways than a wizard's fireball, for example. Um, sorcerers are actually pretty rare characters to have, um, and most people avoid them because they're difficult to keep track of with stuff like sorcery points. Personally, I find it quite easy, but, uh, yes. Sorcerers. If you wish to quick build a sorcerer character, you have to put Charisma as your highest score, and then Constitution, choose the Hermit background, and then choose Light, Prestidigitation, Ray of Frost, and Shocking Grasp as your cantrips, along with first level spells Shield and Magic Missile. Or Missile, however you pr pronounce it. Personally, I say Missile, it sounds fancier. But, um, yes, those are your quick. That's if you want a quick build. Some of the class features of a sorcerer include their hit points. Of course, every character has hit points. Um, the sorcerer's hit dice is 1d6, and at first level you have 6 hit points plus your constitution modifier. At higher levels you roll 1d6 plus your constitution modifier, additional to your current hit points. Your proficiencies with armor are none. Weapons, dagger, darts, slings, quarterstaffs, and light crossbows, and tools, none. You are proficient with the constitution and charisma saving throws, and you can choose two skills from arcana, deception, insight, intimidation, persuasion, and religion. You start with some equipment, as well as the equipment granted by whatever you chose as your background. A, a light crossbow, and 20 bolts, or any simple weapon. B, a component pouch or an arcane focus. C. A dungeoneer's pack or an explorer's pack. D. Two daggers. I am going to actually read up on the hermit background today, and I was thinking about starting with backgrounds as well to make my episodes longer and more interesting. And so this is going to be my first episode with a background, and so I'm thinking, since the sorcerer quick build said to choose the hermit background, why not go ahead and read the hermit background? Of course, I'm going to be doing that right after the class and before the race. So yeah, just going to um, throw that in there. Being a sorcerer, you also gain very many spellcasting abilities. And usually, they can be very useful, just as most spells can. At first level, you know four cantrips of your choice from the sorcerer's spell list. 
You also learn additional sorcerer cantrips of your choice on higher levels, as shown on the cantrips known column of the sorcerer table. The sorcerer table also shows you how many spell slots you have to cast your spells at first and higher levels. To cast one of these spells, you must expend a spell slot of that spell's level or higher. You will also regain all expended spell slots when you finish a long rest. For example, if you know the first level spell Burning Hands and have a first level and a second level spell slot available, you can cast Burning Hands using either spell slot. At f you can actually have more than a few spells learned at each level. At first level, you can, uh, well, you know two spells. However, the spell columns of the sorcerer table shows when you learn more sorcerer spells of your choice. Each of these spells must be of a level which you have spell slots. For instance, when you reach third level in this class, you learn one new spell of first and second or second level. Additionally, when you gain a level in this class, you can choose one of the sorcery spells you know and replace it with another spell from the sorcerer's spell list, which also must be of a level which you have spell slots. Charisma is your spellcasting ability for your sorcerer spells, since the power of your magic relies on your ability to project your will into the world. You use your charisma whenever a spell refers to your spellcasting ability. In addition, you use your charisma modifier when setting the saving throw for a DC for a sorcerer spell. You cast, and when making an attack roll with one. Your spell save DC is 8, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your charisma modifier, where your spell attack modifier equals your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. You can use an arcane focus as a spellcasting focus for your sorcerer's spells. Choose a sorceress origin which describes the source of your innate magical power. Draconic, bloodline, or wild magic, both detailed at the end of the player's handbook sorcerer class description. Your choice grants you features when you choose it at first level and again at 6th, 14th, and 18th level. Um, yeah, so this is like a cool abilities that give you different abilities as you level up, which I usually choose wild magic just because it's quite fun to use. So, yeah, it's quite useful. So if, if ever you want to, you know, go choose one of them, it's like an archetype, sort of. Some other ones from Xanathar's Guide to Everything are Divine Soul, Shadow Magic, and Storm Sorcery, and they can also be very cool. But today I'm going to be focusing on the ones in the Clear Handbook, here in the Sorcerer section. And so, yeah. At second level, you tap into a deep wellspring of magic within yourself. The wellspring is represented by sorcery points, which allow you to create a variety of magical effects. You have two sorcery points at first level, and you gain more as you reach higher levels. As shown in the sorcery points column of the sorcerer table, you can never have more sorcery points than shown on the table for your level. You regain all spent sorcery points when you finish a long rest. You can use your sorcery points to regain additional spell slots or sacrifice spell slots to gain additional sorcery points. You learn other ways to use your sorcery points as you reach higher levels. You can transform unexpended sorcery points into one spell slot as a bonus action on your turn. This creating spell slots table shows the cost of creating a spell slot of a given level. You can create spell slots no higher than 5th level. 
Any spell slot you create with this feature vanishes when you finish a long rest. You can use two spell sorcery points to create one first level spell slot. You only have two at first level, and you can only cast first level spells, so that's quite convenient. As a bonus action on your turn, you can also expend one spell slot and gain a number of sorcery points equal to the slot's level. So if you were to sacrifice one first level spell slot, you would get one sorcery point. Quite useful, actually. At third level, you gain the ability to twist your spells and twist them to suit your needs. You gain two of the following meta magic options of your choice. You gain one at 10th level as well, and another at 17th level. You can only use one meta magic option on a spell when you cast it, unless otherwise noted. You can use careful spell, which I'm not going to explain all of these, there's so many. But you can use careful spell, distant spell, empowered spell, extended spell, heightened spell, quicken spell, subtle spell, and twin spell. Also, when you reach 4th level, 8th level, 12th level, 16th, and 19th level, you can increase one ability score of your choice by 2, or you can increase 2 by 1. As normal, you cannot increase any ability above using 20, I mean above 20 using this feature. At 20th level, you regain 4 expended sorcery points whenever you finish a short rest. There are two available Sorceress Origins here in the player's handbook. Sorry if I said three earlier. I accidentally read Draconic and Bloodline as separate. However, it is Draconic Bloodline, one Sorceress Origin, where your magic comes from Draconic magic that was mingled with your blood or that of your ancestors. And so this gives you abilities such as the Dragon Ancestor, where at first level you can choose up to one type, only one, not up to one, type of dragon as your ancestor. The damage type associated with each dragon is used by features you gain later. This can be black, blue, brass, bronze, copper, gold, green, red, silver, or white. Black dragons have acid damage, blue have lightning damage, brass have fire, bronze have lightning, copper have acid, gold have fire, green have poison, red have fire, silver and white have cold. You can speak, read, and write draconic. Additionally, whenever you make a charisma check when interacting with dragons, your proficiency bonus is doubled if it applies to the check. You also have Draconic Resilience, where as magic flows through your body, it causes physical traits of your dragon ancestors to emerge, where pretty much at first level, your hit point maximum increases by one, and your hit point maximum, yes, increases by one, and increases by one again whenever you gain a level in the Sorcerer class. Additionally, Parts of your skin are covered by a thin sheen of dragon-like scales. Where you aren't wearing armor, your armor class is 13, plus your dexterity modifier. As a sorcerer, you also have elemental affinity, where, at 6th level, you can cast a spell that deals damage of the type associated with your draconic ancestry. You can add your charisma modifier to one damage roll of that spell. At the same time, you can spend one sorcery point to gain resistance to that damage type for one hour. You also have Draconic Wings, where at 14th level, you gain the ability to sprout a pair of dragon wings from your back, gaining a flying speed equal to your current speed. You can create these wings as a bonus action on your turn. They will last until you dismiss them as a bonus action on your turn. 
You cannot manifest these wings while wearing armor unless the armor is made to accommodate them, and clothing not made to accommodate your wings may be destroyed when you manifest them. Just, um, yeah, be wary of that before you go sprouting dragon wings all over the place. Um, at 18th level, you can channel the dread presence of your dragon ancestor, causing those around you to become awestruck or frightened. As an action, you can expend five sorcery points to draw on this power, and exude an aura of awe or fear, your choice, to a distance of 60 feet for one minute, or until you lose your concentration, as if you were casting a concentration spell. Each hostile creature that starts to turn in this aura must succeed on a wisdom saving throw, or be charmed, if you choose awe, or frightened, if you choose fear, until this aura ends. A creature that succeeds on this saving throw is immune to your aura for 24 hours. Next up, we have the Wild Magic Bloodline, or Sorceress Origin, as it's called. I accidentally said Bloodline, I did not mean to, but Wild Magic, where your magic comes from the forces of chaos that underlie the order of creation. You may have endured exposure to raw magic, perhaps through a planar portal leading to Limbo, the Elemental Plains, or the Far Realm. Maybe you were blessed by a fey being or marked by a demonic being. Or your magic could be a fluke of your birth with no apparent cause. However it came to be, this magic turns within you, waiting for any outlet. So, starting when you choose this origin at first level, your spellcasting unleashes surges of untamed magic. Once per turn, the dungeon master can have you roll a d20 immediately after you cast a sorcerer spell of first level or higher. If you roll a 1 on the wild magic surge table to create a magical effect, if that spell is if that effect is a spell, it is too wild to be affected by your meta magic. And if it normally requires concentration, it does not require concentration in this case. The spell lasts for its full duration. Starting at first level, you can also manipulate the forces of chance and chaos to gain advantage on one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Once you do, you must finish a long rest before you can use this feature again. Any time before you regain the use of this feature, the DM can have you roll on the wild magic search table immediately after you cast a sorcerer's spell of first level or higher, you then regain the use of this feature. Starting at sixth level, you can bend luck, which gives you the ability to twist fate using your wild magic. When another creature you can see makes an attack roll, an ability check, or a saving throw, you can use your reaction and spend two sorcery points to roll 1d4 and apply the number rolled as a bonus or penalty of your choice to the creature's roll. You can do this after the creature rolls, but before any effects of the roll occur. So you can roll a d4 and then choose a creature you can see to get a bonus or penalty on any of their attack rolls, ability checks, or saving throws. And um, that number that you rolled will be added or subtracted from their roll. At 14th level, you gain a small amount of control over your wild magic surges. Whenever you roll on the wild magic surge table, you can roll twice and use either number. At 18th level, the harmful energy of your spell intensifies. When you roll damage for a spell and roll the highest number possible on any of the dice, Choose one of those dice, roll it again, and add that roll to the damage. You can use this feature only once per turn. Surprise! Alongside the other sorcerers, um, sorcerer's origins, we will be reading the three from the 
Xanathar's Guide to Everything as well. So, uh, I hope you enjoy. First off, we have Divine Soul, which sometimes the spark of magic that fuels a sorcerer comes from the divine source that glimmers within the soul. Having such a soul is a sign that your magic might come from a distant but powerful familial connection to a divine being. Perhaps your ancestor was an angel transformed into mortal and sent to fight in a god's name, or your birth might align with an ancient prophecy. A divine soul with a natural magnetism is seen as a threat by some religious hierarchies. An outsider who commands sacred power, a divine soul can undermine an existing order by claiming a direct tie to the divine. In some cultures, only those who claim power in the divine soul command religious power. In these lands, some positions are dominated by a few bloodlines and preserved over debt generations. You gain these following features with the divine soul. Divine Magic, where your link to the divine allows you to learn spells from the cleric class. When your spellcasting feature lets you learn or replace a sorcerer cantrip or a sorcerer spell of first level or higher, you can choose the new spell from the cleric spell list or the sorcerer spell list. You must otherwise obey all the restrictions for selecting spells, and it becomes a sorcerer spell for you. In addition, choose an affinity from the source of your divine power, good, evil, law, chaos, or neutrality. You learn an additional spell based on that affinity, and these are the spells. Good, cure wounds. Evil, inflict wounds. Law, bless. Chaos, bane. And neutrality, protection from evil and good. You also gain the ability favored by the gods, where at first level, divine power guards your destiny. If you fail a saving throw or miss with an attack roll, you can roll 2d4 and add it to the total possibly changing the outcome. You can only use this feature again until you finish a rest, long, or short. Next up we have Empowered Healing. At 6th level, the divine energy coursing through you can empower healing spells. Whenever you or an ally you can see within 5 feet of you rolls the dice to determine the number of hit points a spell restores, you can spend one sorcery point to re-roll any number of those dice once, provided you aren't incapacitated. You can use this feature only once per turn. At 14th level, you can use a bonus action to manifest a pair of spectral wings from your back. While these wings are present, you have a flying speed of 30 feet. The wings last until you're incapacitated, you die, or you dismiss them as a bonus action. This is similar to the Draconic Wings, but this speed is set to 30, not whatever your speed was. So, um, yeah. If you choose the Divine Soul Origin instead of the Draconic Bloodline Origin, you still get wings, and you can still fly. True fact, the affinity you chose for your Divine Magic features determine the appearance of your spectral wings. Eagle Wings for good or law bat wings for evil or chaos, and dragonfly wings for neutrality. At 18th level, you gain the ability to overcome grievous injuries. As a bonus action, when you have fewer than half of your hit points remaining, you can regain a number of hit points equal to half your hit point maximum. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest, either one. That is all today for the Divine Soul. Next, we will move on to shadow magic. Ooh. 
very sorry. I know that I said I would do the Storm Sorcery Origin as well, but I'm a little pressed for time right now. So, I'm actually not going to start Shadow Magic either. I'm going to move right on to the race, just because I have a limited time period and I have to do some more stuff today. Um, so yeah, sorry about that. I will do them in our next episode, right at the beginning, as like a part two or finish up of the Sorcerer. Very sorry about that. Um, yeah. Today, our race is going to be one from Volo's Guide to Monsters, called the Tabaxi. Or Tabaxi, however you pronounce it. Um, they are cat people, similar to the Khajiit from the Elder Scrolls series. Um, and yes, they are interesting because they are different from most of the other human animal races. Um, yes. Sorry if I'm a bit, seem a bit distracted. I didn't get much sleep tonight again. So, uh, yeah. Tabaxi follow the deity known as the Cat Lord, most of them at least. Um, he is a fickle entity, as befits the patron of cats, and the Tamaxi believes that the cat lord wanders the world, watching over them and intervening in their affairs as needed. Clerics of the cat lord are rare and typically access the trickery domain. Tabaxis are often associated with thievery and wealth, for reasons as they just sometimes will adore wealth and fancy items. Sorry about that, um, I just, my volume glitched out for a second. Tabaxi names are interesting as well. Fortunately for you guys, I will be pronouncing the names this time, because they seem, they are actually, or words in the English language, so, here you go. First of all, the tabaxi names, some of them at least, include Cloud on the Mountaintop, Five Timber, Jade Shoe, Left-Handed Hummingbird, Seven Thundercloud, Skirt of Snakes, and Smoking Mirror. Some tabaxi clan names include Bright Cliffs, Distant Rain, Mountain Tree, Rumbling River, and Snoring Mountain. Those are some common tabaxi names that they have listed here. Tabaxi personality is different from, say, a dwarf or an elf with a similar background. And tabaxis have obsessions and quirks as well. And so, some obsessions would include curiosity being fixed on a god or planar entity, a monster, a lost civilization, a wizard's secrets, a mundane item, a magic item, a location, or a legend or tale. These are just some obsessions. You can make your own. If you just want to roll on a table, though, these are what you have. Tabaxi quirks on this table include You miss your tropical home and complain endlessly about the freezing weather, even in summer. You never wear the same outfit twice unless you absolutely must. You have a minor phobia of water and hate getting wet. Your tail always betrays your inner thoughts. You purr loudly when you are happy. You keep a small bag of yarn, or ball of yarn, in your hand, which you constantly fidget with. You are always in debt, since you spend your gold on lavish parties and gifts for friends. 
When talking about something you're obsessed with, you speak quickly and never pause, and others can't understand you. You are a font of random trivia from the lore and stories you have discovered, or you can't help but pocket interesting items you come across. These are the tabaxi quirks on this table. You can make your own, if the DM allows it. Your tabaxi character also has the following racial traits. Ability score increase. Your dexterity score increases by 2, and charisma increases by 1. Tabaxi are quite dexterous. Tabaxi also have lifespans equivalent to humans, usually aging and dying around the ages 80 to 100. Some will live longer, some will live shorter. Tabaxi tend towards chaotic alignments, as they let impulse and fancy guide their decisions. They are rarely evil, most of them driven by curiosity rather than greed or dark impulses. One moment. Tabaxi are taller on average than humans and relatively slender. Your size is medium. Your base walking speed is 30 feet. You have a cat's keen senses, especially in the dark. You can see in dim light within 60 feet of you as if it were bright, and in darkness as if it were dim light. You can't discern color in darkness, only shades of gray. Your reflexes and agility allow you to move with a burst of speed. When you move on your turn in combat, you can double your speed until the end of the turn. Once you use this trait, you can't use it again until you move zero feet on one of your turns. This is feline agility. Because of your claws, you have a climbing speed of 20 feet. In addition, your claws are natural weapons, which you can use to make unarmed strikes, which is 1d4 plus your strength modifier, and it is slashing damage, instead of bludgeoning. You also have proficiency in the perception and stealth skills, and you can speak, read, and write common, and one other language of your choice. This is the tabaxi. For our monster today, we have a specter, which is an angry spirit of a humanoid that has been prevented from passing to the afterlife. Spectres no longer possess connections to who or what they were, yet are condemned to walk the world forever. Some are spawned when dark magic or the touch of a wraith rips a soul from a living body. They are beyond redemption. When a ghost's unfinished business is complete, it can rest at last. No such rest or redemption awaits a spectre. It is doomed to the material plane, its only end, the oblivion that comes with the destruction of its soul. Until then, it bears it out its lonely life in forlorn places, carrying on forgotten through the ages of the world. They have undying hatred. Living creatures remind the spectre that life is beyond its grasp. The mere sight of the living overwhelms a spectre with sorrow and wrath, which can be abated only by destroying said life. A spectre kills quickly and mercilessly, for only depriving others of life can gain it the slightest satisfaction. However, no matter how many lives it extinguishes, a spectre always succumbs to its hatred and sorrow. Dwellers in darkness, sunlight represents a source of life that no spectre can ever hope to douse, and it pains them. When every night falls, they leave their final resting places in search of living creatures to slay, knowing that few weapons can harm them in return. At the, light of, at the first light of dawn, they retreat back to the darkness where they remain until night falls again. A spectre does not require food, air, drink, or sleep. Variant, poltergeist. A poltergeist is a different kind of spectre, the confused, invisible spirit of an individual with no sense of how or he or she died. A poltergeist expresses its rage by hur hurling creatures and objects using the power of its shattered psyche. 
A Poltergeist has a challenge rating of 2, 450 XP, and gains the following traits. Invisibility. The Poltergeist can be invisible. The Poltergeist has the following action options in place of the Spectre's life drain. Forceful Slam, which is a plus 4 to hit, reach 5 feet, melee attack, 1 creature target, hit 10, force, 3d6, force damage. And the Poltergeist can target a creature or unattended object within 30 feet of it, and a creature must be medium or smaller to be affected by this magic, and an object can weigh up to 150 pounds. If the target is a creature, the poltergeist makes a charisma check, contested by the target's strength check. If the poltergeist wins the contest, the poltergeist hurls the target up to 30 feet in any direction, including upward. If the target then comes into contact with a hard surface or heavy object, the target takes 1d6 damage per 10 feet moved. If the target is an object that isn't being worn or carried, the poltergeist hurls it up to 30 feet in any direction. This poltergeist can use the object as a ranged weapon, attacking one creature along the object's path, plus 4 to hit, and dealing 2d4 bludgeoning damage on a hit. That is what we have for the Spectre today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, yeah. See you next Sunday.